Welcome to the Insurgents Podcast with Frank Viola. And he's brought a friend. This is the podcast that supplements Frank's groundbreaking book, Insurgents, Reclaiming the Gospel of the Kingdom, which is shaking up the Christian world. You can find out details about the book at insurgents.org. Sit back, open all four ears, physical and spiritual, and join the insurgents. Here's Frank. Right now, you're listening to two men sitting in a room who are dumb enough to answer any question you have. And so I um, solicited my readers to write in their questions based on the book, Insurgents Reclaiming the Gospel of the Kingdom, and told them that I would answer those questions, any question they had, related to the kingdom of God and the gospel of the kingdom, with a partner for this new podcast. And so we are going to tackle these questions one by one in this episode and in the following episodes. And then in future episodes, we will cover various different topics as well. So, John, are you ready to roll here? I got the first question burning hot in my hands. Yeah, let's dig in. (laughs) Here it is. I have been heavily active in efforts to improving my local schools and roads, as well as reducing crime in my city. I'm not seeing a great deal of change in these areas. I'm wondering if you see these things as kingdom work. John Nugent, what say you? Well, I I think part of the reason why Frank and I are doing this podcast together is because his book, Insurgents, and my book, Endangered Gospel, How Fixing the World is Killing the Church, are telling a very similar story. Mm. And that is dialing people into... Uh, what God has been doing in this world through his set-apart people, Israel, and then the church, right, culminated in the work of Jesus. And so we've argued pretty strongly that kingdom activity, kingdom work, is God's work in this world uh, through Jesus to usher in a new era in world history, a new social reality, the kingdom community, Uh, that is a community who orders its life according to God's original purposes for this creation and who are right now a demonstration plot of what God's reign looks like and an anticipation when Christ returns and brings about a new heavens and, and earth, the kingdom community's life together is a pointer to that future reality and even a current experience of that future reality. And so where this question kind of gains its traction from is uh, the claim that both of us make in our books that the church's work uh, is not to find what's broken and messed up in this fallen world order, Mm -hmm. uh, the kingdoms of this world, and to make that better. Uh, But God's kingdom work is the creation of a new thing, Mm -hmm. uh, the kingdom community, uh, which is an alternative to the fallen kingdoms and structures of this world. That's right. Uh, And so we distinguish between kingdom work, Mm -hmm. the work of the kingdom community to bear witness to God's new order, and works of maintaining the old fallen order that's passing away. Right. And and so um, it's not surprising to hear that people who are committed to kind of propping up and fixing, reforming, broken unchristian, unbelieving social institutions, that that effort is met with a lot of frustration. Yes. (laughs) Because there's a whole lot of sin that's wrapped up in those structures. 
power plays and uh, political jockeying for position and people wanting praise and glory and fighting over limited resources, mm-hmm. right? It's the kingdoms of this world that, that are a part of doing things that are good for the world, like mm-hmm. good roads, <laughs> Mm-hmm. Uh, a, a quality healthcare system, solid public education. These are not bad things, right. uh, but they are structures of the fallen order that's passing away. The world system. The world system. That's right. And and so that work is constantly frustrated by sin, and it's important work that needs to be done. And God uses all sorts of people to do that work, <laughs> despite yeah. their brokenness, despite their fallenness. That's right. Because it's good for the world. I distinguish that from kingdom work mm-hmm. uh, because the kingdom work to which God has called believers and only believers is the work of God's forming a new order, a new age, a new social reality mm-hmm. alongside with yes. um, the fallen world system. That's right. And so it's the work of uh, building up the kingdom community uh, to be more faithful witness to uh, God's reign through Christ that is properly called kingdom work. Mm-hmm. This other work is important and God needs it to be done and uses all sorts of people, believers and non-believers to do it, uh, but it should be delineated from kingdom work. Yes. I totally agree with every word you just uttered, John. And and my view, uh, just to kind of put a, a language handle on it, I would distinguish between humanitarian efforts which are beneficial to everyone who lives in a a given city or country, humanitarian efforts versus the work of the kingdom. And I see this term good works or good deeds throughout the New Testament in the framework of kingdom work. I, I see good deeds as something that the New Testament authors, when they use the term good works, were describing the work of the body of Christ or Jesus himself in alleviating human suffering as it relates to the preaching of the gospel of the kingdom and the demonstration of the gospel of the kingdom and the embodying of the gospel of the kingdom. So, for example, in Acts 10.38, Luke says this, how God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Spirit and with power, how he went about doing good, right? good works, good deeds, and healing all who were oppressed by the devil, for God was with him. And so I draw a distinction this way between humanitarian efforts and kingdom work or good works, according to the New Testament usage, by saying this, if a good-hearted agnostic can do it, if a good-hearted atheist can do it, Mm -hmm. it's not the work of the kingdom of God. Because the work of the kingdom of God is only done by and through the Lord Jesus Christ, the King. And the kingdom relates to the gospel of the kingdom, which cannot be divorced from the declaration, the clear declaration that Jesus of Nazareth is this world's true King and true Lord. It cannot be separated from that. That's right. And so fixing the roads in your town, I'm all for great roads, okay? Please, especially uh, in Lansing, Michigan. Yes. <laughs> I'm all for it. I'm all for the reduction of crime. I'm all for clean streets. I'm all for better schools. But, sisters and brothers, that is not the work of the kingdom of God because 
that really has very little to do with the declaration that Jesus Christ is King and Lord and a good-hearted atheist or agnostic or a person from another religion can do those same things. Yeah, Maybe an easy way to distinguish between whether a given activity is kingdom work or not would be to say, is the work you're doing serving an eternal order that's not passing away? Oh, perfect. Beautiful. Say that again. Uh, is the work you're doing serving an eternal order that is not passing away? Because when Scripture describes God's kingdom, it is the kingdom that Jesus inaugurated that will become the future of world history after all other kingdoms have been subjected under his feet yeah. and are no more. And so uh, that's a healthy question to ask. And it doesn't mean this other activity is not worthwhile. Mm -hmm. It's that's just right. it's serving a different kingdom. Well, and here, here's the problem I have. I have no issue with a person volunteering, engaging in these kind of efforts, and I'm talking about a believer. My concern, however, is that all of our time is limited. And so if an individual volunteers for committees that are trying to improve their local school system, getting their roads cleaned up, reducing crime, neighborhood watch, whatever, and they're expending their time and energy in those things which are trying to make better a world that is going to pass away, and they have less time or little time or even no time to be part of a kingdom community and its life together that embodies the kingdom of God and demonstrates the kingdom of God collectively, then I would say that those efforts, while beneficial to a local city, are a distraction from God's ultimate intention. Yeah. One of the primary things about God's kingdom is Jesus uses the metaphor of it's like a treasure that's hidden in a field or a pearl that a merchant finds. And when you grasp God's kingdom, you divest yourself of all other prior occupations that consumed your time, energy, and resources. And you invest yourself fully into that treasure, that pearl, which is the kingdom of God. Mm -hmm. And so Jesus says in, in the Sermon on the Mount, seek first God's kingdom. Like, mm -hmm. It's got to be the rudder that guides your life. Uh, the and the thing that excites you, that animates you, that derives your energy, that you're eager to talk about, that you want to share with others. If the kingdom of God as brought through Christ is not the thing that you're most excited about, uh, then the kingdom that you're talking about or interacting with is not God's kingdom. Yeah, that's right. Because once you've truly grasped God's kingdom, it reprioritizes your whole life. And any other kingdom, any kingdom that you could learn about and embrace that you can put in the, the two spot or the three spot in your life is not the kingdom of God. Yeah. Amen. In my experience, when a person hears clear articulation of the titanic earth-shaking gospel of the kingdom and they respond to it, they receive it, they embrace it, it catapults them into a brand new dimension of spiritual life and perspective, the likes of which they could have never imagined before. When we're talking about the kingdom of God, we're not talking about going to heaven after you die. And we're not talking about trying to make the world a better place through social and political activism. And we're not talking about signs, wonders, and miracles. We're talking about something completely different. 
we've articulated what the kingdom is in our books the best we can. And, and as I've pointed out elsewhere, it can't be defined without diluting its power and draining its glory. That's why the New Testament never defines it. It only illustrates it. Yeah. And Jesus would often say the kingdom is like this, the kingdom is like that, the kingdom is like this. But after you put all of those utterances together and you see what the kingdom isn't, because Paul would say, well, the kingdom is not so-and-so and so-and-so, yep. then you get a clear impression of what the kingdom of God is, and it is powerful. I would just say this. Imagine that you are standing on a mountain, and that mountain represents all the teachings you've ever heard, all the sermons you've ever heard, all the books you've ever read in the Christian world. I am suggesting, and John, you're suggesting this too, whether you realize it or not, you're telling God's people there is another mountain by which to stand. And it takes dropping most of what we've learned in the Christian family over the years, dropping that and getting on that other mountain. And when you get on that other mountain, you see things from a totally different perspective, and it changes everything. Because the perspective is so different yet so grounded, so tightly grounded in Scripture and in the Lord Jesus Christ, that that part of it cannot be denied. It's what Jesus uses the analogy of wineskins to demonstrate. You can't take old wine and put it in new wineskins. And you can't put new wine in old wineskins, obviously. So we have identified that humanitarian efforts, which are beneficial to all people in the world, are noble, but they are not the work of the kingdom. What then would you say to this person who asked this question? Maybe they really are motivated to be involved with helping their local community with respect to roads and schools and reduction of crime that would not distract them in both time and energy from the kingdom of God and the work of the kingdom and being part of a kingdom community or a kingdom cell, as I described in my book. What other option is there for them? I see two options. Uh, one, and, and we this kind of builds off of the work of the Apostle Paul, uh, his passion, it's clear in all of his writings, was the kingdom and planting and sustaining and nourishing kingdom communities. Mm-hmm. But he had to he had to eat. <laughs> yes. And he found it necessary to make tents. Um, and tents were really important to society and other leather creations, right? That's right. That he would have been involved in. People needed them for shelter. People needed them for clothing. Uh, maybe saddles or whatever else they they did with leather. And he picked a vocation, which would have taken a lot of time in his day, uh, in which he uh, dedicated time to to offering this service that would put food on the the table for him. Uh, And I think Christians who feel called to, I really have a passion and a gift for engineering and road construction and better ways, that may be a a good tent-making ministry for you. Mm Mm-hmm. Uh, to find your employment in this area of passion. Your vocation. Your vocation. Uh, the thing you do to put uh, bread on the table. Um, but that can't become your identity. Right. That can't become your life's obsession. It can't become your most fundamental contribution to your community. Then that becomes an idol. You become a workaholic in that area. And now you have been ensnared by the cares of this life, which chokes the living word of God. Absolutely. So finding your job in that area and investing your skills in that way, Mm -hmm. but not saying that because it does good for the community, we are now going to give it the title kingdom work Mm -hmm. and Mm -hmm. make that your missionary contribution to the world. That's right. (laughs) 
Yeah, that is so good. Well, it's interesting you mentioned about Paul and his vocation because, boy, Paul Tarsus runs against the grain of our modern concepts and practice of ministry, particularly when it comes to quote-unquote full-time ministry, professional ministry. I'm getting off on a tangent here, but I'll just make a point. Paul was, in fact, a blue-collar worker. He was someone who worked with his hands. He was a businessman. He he created things and sold them. And that did take up a lot of time. You see in some of his letters, he said, we work day and night. And number one, he did it so that he would not burden the kingdom communities he was serving, that he was raising up. Long discussion in 1 Corinthians 9, he had the right as an apostolic worker to receive his income from the Lord's people, but he chose not to exercise that right because he did not want to be a burden on the Lord's people. And there's other benefits too, and that is if you're being paid by a group of people, they in effect control you from what you say. Paul was totally free to say and share whatever was on his heart. The other thing though is because he worked so often to make his living and pay his own way, he wasn't a part-time minister or servant. He wasn't a part-time Christian worker. He was a spare time kingdom builder. He was a spare time apostle. He raised up ecclesias. He raised up kingdom communities in his spare time because he did work for a living. And I just think that is a place to camp and look and examine, especially in light of people who are being paid to minister. Their whole identity is wrapped up in their profession as a professional minister, oh, yeah. et cetera, et cetera. There's a lot there, but I just wanted to add that when you mentioned about him being a tent maker, a leather worker. Absolutely. The other way um, that you can pursue activities that would be beneficial to the wider community, not the kingdom community, but the wider community, is to serve together with the brothers and sisters in the kingdom community in public, uh, participate in, in an activity together, uh, that is beneficial. And so maybe, and, and one thing, I'm a part of a church that one of our, one of the ways that we like to be witnesses in our community and visible as the kingdom community is by working on roofs. Mm-hmm. And um, we have a, a giant trailer that we can dump shingles and haul them away on. And we have ladders and guns and air compressors and the people and the skill and know-how to do an excellent job. And, and for us, we use that gift first and foremost for the kingdom community. Someone in the church needs a roof, you know, we dedicate a Saturday and maybe half a Sunday and we go put a roof on their house for them. Mm. And it's one of the ways we ease one another's economic burdens. Uh, But when you get a reputation for serving one another in that way, uh, you will get opportunities to serve others. And so we we became aware of an African refugee community in our town that was like a bunch of refugees living in one house that was a danger to live in because it had a roof that was about to collapse. We heard of this. People who knew about the way we served one another, loved one another by doing roofs together, uh, they learned about that and said, hey, we've got an opportunity for you. This is an opportunity to make our community a better place, right? And uh, these weren't necessarily believers, uh, but they were people that we could serve. And so we chose to do that together. And that work was simultaneously benevolence to the community and kingdom work. Yes. Because the way we served together, the way we loved one another while working on the roof together, Mm -hmm. the way when people walked by, they could see a group of 20 people. Uh, Some, your typical construction worker looking type folk, 
some uh, women, some children, teenagers, uh, one gentleman on a wheelchair on the ground, mm. uh, giving insights and ideas. Uh, they see this community of diverse people working together joyously, laughing, sharing work together, people showing up in a car and bringing a ton of food and us all putting our tools down and, and breaking bread in public in the community while we served. Mm-hmm. And so the we loved one another publicly, visibly in the midst of our community uh, while offering a service that was helpful to the community. And the kingdom work that we did was love one another while we served the people who lived in this household. The benevolence we did was the roof. And and so there are ways that we can find ways. How can we meet a need in our society and use that as a way to make visible the kingdom of God in its diversity and its love and joy in fellowship? Beautiful example of a demonstration of the kingdom of God whereby the love that you have for one another in that fellowship is overflowing to people who don't know the Lord, and you are alleviating human suffering. And this is a great place for me to say, uh, John, I need a new roof in my house. And we, have been calling, <laughs> we have been calling around the roofers, in our, and they are outrageously expensive, so... Why don't you uh, consider bringing your entourage down to Florida and putting a new roof in my house? I promise it will be a witness to the kingdom. (laughs) It's a great, great example. And again, you know, I would call that doing good works. That is works of the kingdom. It's collective. It's corporate. It's putting the body of Christ on display. And it is an outflow of the love you have for one another. It reminds me of the stories we have in the early centuries of church history, where plagues would blow through a city and just take out an entire population. And it was the Nazarenes, the Nazarites, as they were called, the Christians, Mm -hmm. who stayed there, nursed one another, and also nursed the heathen around them. So the love that they have for one another was put on display, but also there was a demonstration of Jesus Christ as king and the kingdom by their love for those who weren't even part of them. And one of the emperors, I think his name is Julian, was just awestruck. Of course, he was criticizing it, saying something like, the Nazarites, they not only take care of one another, but they take care of us as well. A very powerful testimony. When all the nurses and doctors left, they just got out of Dodge. (laughs) It was the Christians who stayed. And that's just another example, brother. So I appreciate you sharing that. And I think if we were to say, all right, who are the three or four guys in the church that are really gifted in construction, why don't you go put a roof on that church? Mm -hmm. And you go and, um, you know, the church family gives you, you know, and here's $50, get yourself some food while you're doing it. It wouldn't be the same demonstration of the kingdom. It would be an efficient use of our time and energy and resources that got the job done and took care of this household. But neighbors walking by would have just seen another construction crew. They wouldn't have had it seen the kingdom in their midst in its diversity yeah well i hope we answered that question adequately let's see let's go on to the next question john the question is are there really insurgents today the way you describe in the testimonials in your book i cannot find any where i live and a related question to that is where can i find an ecclesia like you describe in insurgents and reimagining church well The answer to the first question is yes, there are insurgents. Absolutely. 
Well, I believe the insurgence is growing every day. The Lord is capturing more and more people with the explosive gospel of the kingdom, and many are responding to it. Is it a big wave? Is it a big movement? Is it going to turn into something like promise keepers? No, I do not believe that will ever happen because it is too costly. It didn't happen in the first century. I don't think it's going to happen in our time. But there are certainly people who have truly, authentically joined the insurgents, and they are on this journey of entering into the kingdom, enjoying its riches, and growing into its fullness. I know many of them personally. There's testimonials in my book. You just heard a testimonial from John. The other question is, where can I find one? I think that is the wrong question. I really do. Because this is an impulse that Christians have. They want to find something that already exists and be part of it and be connected to it. And I have found that usually when people have that mentality, you know, where can I find this group that's doing what you're talking about? Many of those people, I would say the majority of those people, are really experimenting. And so they may try it out like they're trying a new restaurant Mm -hmm. or a new country club. And the moment that things don't go the way they want or they get offended at something or it doesn't meet their expectation, there's no commitment, there's no devotion, and they're gone. I'll tell you my own opinion on this. You would be very foolish to try to find a group like this on Facebook. Most groups that use terms like organic, house church, simple church, all of these different terms are filled with people who have incredibly diverse views and diverse personalities and diverse theological systems and diverse ecclesiologies, their understanding of the church. And I have not seen anything but a lot of carnage come from Facebook groups. Yeah, they have their decent moments, but I've never found a single person in the last 15 years who has gone to a Facebook group and actually found a living, breathing expression of the body of Christ. I've not found it. Same thing with so-called house church directories. I know all of them that exist out there, and I wouldn't give you two cents for any of them because most of them are so outdated. And many of them are simply small institutional churches that are gathering in a home. Right. It's, honey, I shrunk the church. And I'm not somebody who advocates house church, quote-unquote, as something to be romanticized. I don't think God's passion is the house. Most house churches are glorified Bible studies. They're not the living, breathing ecclesia that we see in the New Testament. All that to say, I would, I would exhort you not to try to find one. I would exhort you, brother, sister, to be intentional and serious about starting a kingdom cell in your own city. And you don't have to be a church planter or an apostolic worker to do that. You can be a brother, a sister of any gifting and any calling to open up your home or to gather in a meeting place or a restaurant or a coffee shop with at least one other believer. All you need is two believers to form a kingdom cell. All right. And that could be the embryo by which the ecclesia of God is born. And I talk about kingdom cells on my blog, real simple. Just go to franklaula.org forward slash kingdom. You'll have all the articles about the gospel of the kingdom that I've written in the insurgents. One of them is how to form a kingdom cell where you live. There's also a discussion about it in insurgents. I would exhort you and challenge you 
to seek to begin a kingdom cell in your own town prayerfully and with the Lord's leading and guidance and with some of these ideas that are sketched out in these writings. Because let me tell you something, God's intention is to have a living, breathing expression of the body of Christ and ecclesia, a kingdom community that's embodying the gospel of the kingdom in every city and in every town on this planet. And if everybody's just looking to find it, well, folks, let me just be honest with you. It's rarer than chicken molars in our time right now. It is exotically rare. Do they exist? Absolutely. What I wrote in Reimagining Church came out of my own experience. I would say to you, stay where you are and seek the Lord about forming a kingdom cell and take the initiative to do that. That is my answer to that question, brother. That's very similar to what I would say. If there is one in your town, I mean, ask around, you know, and, and you're going to have to ask probing questions. You know, what is it that animates them? If, you know, if they're the cult of the house, which means what they really love is meeting in a house. Right. Uh, they're not really about the kingdom. They're about not in a brick-and-mortar church building. Yes, right. And, um, Lots of groups like that, brother. But so what I'm concerned is, is the kingdom of God the animating force that drives this congregation? And they might meet in a house. And, and the church mm-hmm. that I'm a part of meets in a variety of houses. But some meet in buildings, mm-hmm. and some meet in... Coffee shops. Coffee shops, right. And so there's a wide variety of venues. And, and unless you're asking kingdom questions, mm-hmm. you're, you're asking the wrong questions. If yeah. We talk about symptoms of what some characteristics that kingdom communities have, but if they don't have the kingdom as their core, yeah. you're not finding an insurgents kind of congregation. Uh, so do ask around. Uh, but if there is none locally, then I absolutely agree. Amen. Start, Amen. be the beginning. And I was going to say exactly what you said. God's desire is is for every congregation to be a kingdom-driven congregation yes. and for every city to have kingdom-driven congregations. Mm-hmm. And so some of you may already be a part of congregations uh, that would be open to you beginning a kingdom cell within that congregation. Absolutely. Amen. And I recommend that as well. Yeah, like begin. Some of you are part of congregations that it would be no problem for you to begin inviting people over to your house mm-hmm. for serious prayer, serious discernment, mm-hmm. serious loving one another, uh, serious fellowshipping in the name of the Lord mm-hmm. and serving one another to happen within an existing congregation Absolutely. and praying that that way of life catches on and that we can begin to talk about what is it that drives us and how is the kingdom vision the vision that drives this mm-hmm. small group within a wider congregation mm-hmm. and and you might be the thing that gets a an entire congregation moving in a certain direction that when, when a cell of people are committed to something it just expands the imagination of everyone else around Absolutely. about what's possible so i'm a part of a, a, a christian tradition associated with brothers and sister churches uh, from the same uh, tribe, so to speak, the same ecclesial background. Um, and and a lot of them are suspicious of what we're doing meeting in homes. Um, but they really like what they see as far as us embracing the kingdom vision. Yeah. They really love to see how we serve one another, love one another, work on each other's cars, work on each other's roofs, serve our neighbors, and, and come alongside other congregations. And they see our joy in fellowship. They see us intentionally moving close to one another in the same neighborhoods, being willing to share our houses with people. And that community, uh, those other churches have begun imitating in very concrete ways from where they're at. 
And it's moving the needle in those churches, not to become house churches, but to become more kingdom-centered yes, in their own life together. Uh, so I think it can happen within a congregation. Yes, and I, I think we need new kingdom community plants yes. to be an example, to broaden the imagination of other churches. But I think it starts praying. And that's one of the things I encourage as well. In fact, at the end of Insurgents, I have a recipe for what to do in your kingdom cells once you start them. And you can have two people. It only takes mm-hmm. two people to form a kingdom cell. But there are suggestions there that, that can get you rolling on that. I've been encouraged, too, that there have been a number of pastors in the United States who have been using insurgents with their congregations, preaching on the gospel of the kingdom, and setting up kingdom cells in their congregations. Now, how many of those groups exist? I have no idea. Where are they? I cannot tell you that. Well, I know, I know of some. I'm not at liberty to tell you where they are because, again, the point here that we're trying to stress is to find people who are interested, whether they're part of an existing church you're with or maybe a small group that you're associated with that would be open to this, the vision of the gospel of the kingdom and kingdom life, or something that you begin from whole cloth. It's much better to stay where you are in your city, in your town, in your village. And let the Lord work with you there. Are there insurgents? Yes. Can you find such a group? Possibly, but probably not. Can you form one, a kingdom cell in your city? The answer to that is yes. And, and I would also encourage you, as you form a local cell, to keep asking where are these, where are some other communities in other towns and states that are doing this, that you might mm-hmm. visit them. Yeah. Learn from how they're doing things. Absolutely. Hear their testimonies and their stories. What has what has really helped them, and and what what mistakes did they make? So you don't have the sense you're all alone. Yeah, exactly. you're not the only ones doing this. You don't need to leave and go join these other yeah, groups. Absolutely, but you can find a lot of strength by partnering, just forming friendships yeah, between absolutely. congregations, the kind that Paul is forging between churches and groups. Absolutely, Greece. that's indispensable once once you have identified you know, where these other groups are. And that's one of the reasons why I wish to have sometime in the future an insurgents conference, because it would be specifically designed to bring everyone who has heard the gospel of the kingdom and or who has read the book or who's even interested in this thing called the gospel of the kingdom. This would include kingdom cells that are already forming, people who want to form kingdom cells, to get ideas, further ideas beyond what's been said already, and to come together in a conference setting and spend three or four days together cross-pollinating, learning from one another, and also being trained. And that's my vision, but as I have pointed out in my blog, I do not feel the liberty to start this myself. I'm looking for the Lord to bring a partner to me. So if you're listening to this and you're a pastor of a church and you have a congregation and you're on board with the gospel of the kingdom and you have a burden to do something like this, to host something like this, then contact me by all means, because uh, I would love to have a conference like that, John. And you would be someone who uh, I think would enjoy being part of it as well. Absolutely. All right, folks, we're going to sign off. Until next time, the insurgence has begun. Don't miss it. If you enjoyed this episode, please subscribe to the Insurgents Podcast and give it a five-star review on iTunes. This will help others find it. Also, you can join Frank's unfiltered email list 
at frankviola.org and receive encouragement, challenges, and insights connected to the gospel of the kingdom. Remember, the insurgence has begun. Don't miss it.